at some time, and sometimes we like to go straight to the seventh trump and uh, tell stories about people rising off the ground and various things that can be very inspiring and helpful. And yet I didn't really think that was as timely today as it might could have been. And I was thinking along some different lines of trumpet warnings. And that seemed to be borne out this morning uh, with the messages both that were given uh, in terms of preparing to meet our God. And that wasn't a be sweet and say a prayer because God is coming and you'll get to meet him soon. That warning in Amos 6 is a very powerful warning that you are not ready and therefore you had better prepare to meet your God is the force and the context of that verse. But it had occurred to me as I looked through this study in Ephraim that uh, what we got into uh, last time, a few days ago, and what is coming up fits very well with the theme of this day and the warning trumpets that have to be blown. And then, of course, when those trumpets of revelation are given, uh, there's a lot of trouble that comes. And we are just ahead of that. They will be being blown soon, and there is great trouble coming. So I want to pick it up basically where we left off and move forward with this same study, and I think that we'll find that it has much to do with today and fits the context of what's going on in the nation and the world and in the church to a T, and it is very timely in that sense. Uh, we dropped the story last time in Isaiah 8 at verse 20. We had gone through <clears throat> the prophecy in Isaiah 7 and 8 about a conspiracy and how Ephraim would be cut off in six, within 65 years and speculated somewhat as to how close that might be, considering the beginnings of Ambassador College in 47 and of the UN in 45, uh, Satan's attempt to start his new world order and through the uh, vehicle of the UN, and God beginning to expand his work through the vehicle of Ambassador College. Now, whether that is indeed true, I do not know, but what we are seeing today appears to be the beginning of the collapse of this country. And there are many, many scriptures that indicate once it starts, it will happen suddenly, instantaneously, within a month. Uh, there are various scriptures that describe it as being a very quick thing. Though once it really crashes, Isaiah 29 says it'll lean outward like a wall and then crash. So... When, when is the leaning stopped and when is the crashing starting, I guess is the question, but I think it's getting really tippy now. Uh, if you've watched things that were about to fall, there comes a point where you kind of stand back, you know, because uh, you're not sure exactly which second it's going to know, go, but you know it's soon. We've all probably torn things down and had those feelings or seen things about to happen and sort of backed off. Well, God tells us to do more than that. He says, come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her plagues and her sin, or sins and her plagues. The sin comes first, the plague comes because of the sin. And we have trouble extricating ourselves from her, which we know by now. 
But anyway, he said within 65 years, uh, Ephraim would be broken, and that people would bring forth Emmanuel, uh, a virgin would conceive, a virgin is the church, and before he, that baby born to us here at the end time, not the first birth of Christ, but his birth in us, would not be accomplished, or would be accomplished, and that this end and this destruction would come before he would be old enough to know good from evil. So if we're looking at the destruction now coming upon us, I'd say it is within the parameters of those dates and the 65 years that we delineated. And we accepted the name of Emmanuel a couple of years ago, so it appears that everything is according to that timeline if it goes ahead and crashes now. Now, if this is a false alarm, uh, it could go on a while, and I might be wrong in that uh, speculation, but I don't know. Everything I'm reading and observing indicates that there's no coming back from this one, that this is the tipping point, and from here on it's a cascade downward. So I could be wrong about that too. We'll see. You know, we had gun laps, gun laps, and gun laps under Herbert Armstrong, and, and we never finished a gun lap. It wasn't the gun lap yet. Uh, so we have to learn to be cautious and careful in our analysis and not make uh, a lot of strong predictions. We can only look at the scriptures and say, does this fit what we see happening? And sometimes it is not. But maybe it is beginning to fit now in terms of the time order. I don't know. We shall see. But then he tells about the conspiracy that is, and not to worry about it, but to fear God and to be sure and follow his testimony and seal the law among his disciples in verse 16. We need to be looking to the commandments of God, his ways, in order to prepare ourselves for what is just about to happen. He has hidden his face from us, verse 17. We've known that from many scriptures. And then he says, Behold, I and the children whom the Eternal have given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Eternal of hosts, which dwells in Mount Zion. So right here at the end time, some of God's children are going to be signs and wonders before the world. You can pick that up in Zechariah 3 as well, where it talks about a Joshua to come and lead the people and begin to set things up for these end time events to prepare a place. And it says that the men there will become signs and wonders. So I think that the time element here in the end time is tying all these events together in one package. We are going to see before long among God's true holy people signs and wonders to show the world where God is working and how he is working and what he is capable of doing. But some will not look to that. They'll look to psychics, psychiatrists, familiar spirits, to demons. They'll be paying attention to demon things instead of godly things. There are demons out there. Yes, there are. Satan is doing a very powerful work here at the end, and it's going to get far more powerful. And God does not want us to be focusing on the things that Satan is doing. He makes it very clear here. We need to be focusing on what God is doing. I don't care about UFOs. I don't care about Martians or extraterrestrials. 
I know there are demons there. I know Satan will appear as an angel of light and will deceive the whole world. Indeed, he has already deceived almost the whole world, including most of the church. We are to flee from Satan and cling to God so that Satan will flee from us. And if we're curious about the things Satan is doing and reading all that garbage about UFOs and that kind of thing, God condemns it and says, do not do it. Let me rephrase that and say it clearly. I jest. We are to go to the law and the testimony of God and what he says, not to this world and its stories about demons marrying women and all that kind of garbage that clouds our understanding of God. And here is scripture to prove it. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, the Bible, it is because there is no light in them. So beware, brethren, of the ministers of this world who appear as angels of light. I think a lot of you and I have read David J. Meyer and his monthly letter. Be careful. Be careful. The man is a former witch. I don't know if he is still a witch or not. He says he's not. But then Satan says he's not a devil. He says he's God. Let's be very careful what we read. Now, you're going to read certain things on the news. Somebody called me about some things Pat Robertson had said the other day. But tune in, and I mentioned that to you. Well, Pat Robertson's been in the political arena, and he's been in the spiritual arena, or the religious arena, and he knows some things that are going on. But be very careful in what you take from him. Be careful because there's usually a twist. Now, what David Meyer writes seems to be pretty much right on, but I still don't trust him. And it is so easy to be led astray. He is not a converted man, does not understand God's law and this testimony. He quotes the Bible, but then Satan does too. Satan knows the Bible better than I do, better than you do. And he is an expert at twisting it. He even tried to twist Christ up in the Scripture. This is a time to be very, very careful, and God is giving us a warning here. When you see this conspiracy happening, don't fear it, fear me. There are people in this world who, that's all they pay attention to is the conspiracy in the New World Order. Now, we should have a leg up on them. We understand there's a New World Order coming, that Satan is going to deceive the world and try to set up his millennium. But we have a better knowledge. We know it's a total deception and that it will be deposed and destroyed and that Christ will set up his millennium. 
So we don't need to spend a lot of time fear, fearing and worrying about the new world order. We need to spend the time fearing, learning to obey God, studying His Word, and being sure we are prepared to meet our God. I am not worried about meeting the new world order. It's coming. I am worried about meeting my God. My God can protect me from the new world order. Or, if so be it God so chooses, I can be allowed to be killed by the new world order. So what? Fear not them who can kill the body, but he who can fill, kill the soul. He who has eternal life in his hand is the one to fear. Yeah, they can kill our body. Big deal. As I look across the room, I see a lot of us are going to die anyway pretty soon. <laughs> so are we going to betray God's truth in order to save our miserable physical, miserable physical life, which isn't going to be much longer regardless? Well, let's be true about this. Okay. If they don't follow this word, there is no light in them. Verse 21, they shall pass through it, hardly be stead and hungry, and it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. When the people of this nation see all this coming down on them, they're not going to humble themselves and worship God. They're going to shake their fist and curse God. And they shall look to the earth, and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. If you look to this earth for answers, you're going to have trouble. But there are people who have been walking in darkness, verse 2 of chapter 9, and they've seen a great light, they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. He's talking about a very small group of people here. We walk in the land of the shadow of death today. Now remember Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet will I fear no evil. God is there to comfort us and strengthen us. And even as David walked through the valley of death where people wanted to kill him, he had enemies, we today are in a land that has many, many enemies, and the shadow of death has been cast across this country now. It is beginning to fall apart. But if we will follow the way of God, a light is shining upon us. It reiterates what we read in chapter 7, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. We bring forth Christ in our lives and our character, and God gives him to us. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There's the one I want to be concerned about in fear. He's going to have all those offices. I want to kind of 
polish his uh, shoes or whatever I need to do. I don't mean that in the wrong way. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to do it in a sincere and right way, to draw close to him, to think like him, to be like him. And that's a tall order for any of us to bring every thought into the captivity of Christ. We tend to be hypocrites. I read an article recently in the journal, I think I mentioned it, where someone was saying all the things a minister shouldn't preach about because you can preach about this and about that and about the other thing and when you drive up they'll change the channel, they'll shut the cupboard door, they'll put their uh, stuff away that you preached against. I don't care. I am here to cry aloud and to spare not. If you don't want to understand and you want to be a hypocrite, then that's up to you. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And you can change or you can hide it from the ministry. That's up to you. But you will face your God. Remember that. And I try not to give you my opinions. I try to read it to you right out of the Bible. And it affects everything we do. How we live, what we watch, what we hear, what we see, what we eat, where we go. God outlines a way of life. We must understand that. Paul referred to it as this way. It is not just a set of rules. It is a way of life. We are here to take care of our physical temples and our spiritual temples properly. Verse 8, the Eternal sent a word into Jacob, and it has lighted upon Israel. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria. So here he addresses Ephraim and all Israel, but he calls out Ephraim as the leader. And I think he's calling out the United States as the leader of Israel. That's where he has put physical leadership, and that's where he has put the spiritual leadership of Israel. So he calls out the leadership of both the country and the church. And we are studying Ephraim in particular, so I point that out. But say in the pride and stoutness of heart, proud to be an American. How many have seen that bumper sticker? <laughs> All over the country. Proud to be an American. Why not just say thankful? Why not just say, God blessed Abraham so I have many blessings I don't deserve? Instead, we want to be proud. We want to be proud of who we are and our ego and the selfishness that we heard about this morning. So they say in the pride and stoutness of heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedar. Americans aren't getting the point. They don't understand. Oh well, tear down our bricks, tear down our sycamores, we'll build it back better. We'll bail it out and everything will be fine. We'll fix it 
and will go upward and onward and will still be the wonderful leaders of the world that we have been. That's American pride and ego and self-centeredness. Therefore, the Eternal shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and join his enemies together. Remember the conspiracy there in chapter 7 we read about? God brings it up here again. He says, I will cause a conspiracy against Ephraim and Israel, and they will fall. He's already prophesied within 65 years of a certain date. And he mentions it again. He mentions several different uh, Israel, uh, enemies who will devour Israel with open mouth, verse 12. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. God is going to cause our enemies to come and destroy us, but his arm is still going to be stretched out like a man with a paddle. He, he hasn't dropped it to his side yet. He isn't done yet. For the people turns not to him that smites them, neither do they seek the eternal of hosts. We will go down, we will be destroyed, and still will not repent and turn to God. What does it take? Look at the church as an example. God has splintered it, shattered it, scattered it. Have people truly turned to God? Or are they just going on their merry way, thinking that they're doing okay, that it was somebody else that caused the problem? What the church has done is an exact parallel to what the nation will do as well. Because it is about to be shattered, scattered, and torn apart as well. And just as the church has not turned to God with its heart, neither will the people of this nation. Therefore, the Eternal will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush, in one day. In other words, as I said before, very quickly. One day can mean a short time in prophecy. It doesn't necessarily mean 24 hours. The ancient and honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teaches lies, he is the tail. And none of them are any good. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. The leaders cause us problems, have led us into the difficulties we have, and we as a people will be destroyed. The ministry of the church led the church down a primrose path, and the leaders of this nation are doing the same thing and leading us to destruction. Therefore the eternal shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall he have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And he says, wickedness burns like a fire. How does a fire burn? It starts and it gets worse. And if you have fuel there, it just gets bigger and bigger and hotter and hotter. And that's the way wickedness and evil has done in this country. So that there's no morality left. It shall devour the briars and thorns and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest. And they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke. Though the wrath of the eternal of hosts are through the wrath is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother, every man for himself. The egotistical, pride, prideful, selfish people of this country 
will not spare each other, but kill each other in order to save their own hides. That is how deeply we have gone in to egomania and selfishness in this country. He shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry, and he shall eat on the left hand, and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. That would be his family, I would think. I don't know that they'll cut their own arm off and cook it, but your arm represents your family, and we'll see a little later on that that is indeed true. Verse 21, Manasseh Ephraim and Ephraim Manasseh, and they together shall be against Judah. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. So it's going to be everyone against everyone. Everybody for himself, dog, eat, dog, and I mean literally, eat. Our neighbors, our children. Then he talks in here about the Assyrian, who is a rod of his anger, who will come against uh, Ephraim and the rest of Israel for that matter. We have always said it would be Germany, and the Assyrian certainly is mentioned very prominently here. And this thing may be centered, for sure, in Germany, but it's going to be a lot bigger than ten nation-states in Western Europe. It is going to be a worldwide thing, and many different peoples are mentioned in Psalm 83, and actually were mentioned right here in this chapter itself. Some of the Gentile nations, not just one, not just Germany with those satellite about it. The Rothschild banking power is centered in Frankfurt, Germany. So the center of this Edomite conspiracy, along with other peoples, is centered in Germany today. The central bank of this country, the, Fed, the, uh, the Feds, are a private-owned bank controlled by the families, including the Rothschilds, who are the leading family. So what we, I'm, I'm calling for Fed, what do they, what's the, the name, the Federal, Federal Reserve is owned primarily by the Rothschilds of Frankfurt, Germany, along with some other families. I think there's about three families here in this country, but the rest of them are in Europe. So we are being taken down by those people right now. God says that Esau or Edom will have the upper hand over Jacob in the end time. Well, this thing is being done to us on purpose. They have a plan of destroying us financially and then destroying us and taking us into captivity militarily. And this chapter says that it will happen that way. Now let's go to chapter 11. I want to pick out primarily the, the things that talk about Ephraim here. Chapter 11 uh, talks about well, we've always gone here to these tabernacles over the years and talked about all the, the peacefulness and everything that will happen. But uh, actually, this begins before the millennium among a very small group of God's people where God will bring peace in the latter temple, as he says in Haggai 2.9. And it's going to happen among God's people as a sign and as a wonder to the rest of the world. Because it is right here in the context of Israel being destroyed and uh, right after it, when you 
talks about it down to verse 10. In that day there should be a root of Jesse which will stand for an ensign to the people. He says that Zerubbabel will be raised as a standard or an ensign or a banner in the last verse or two of Haggai. And no one is going to hurt or destroy in all God's holy mountain. They're going to see the fullness of God's word preached to them. And they will not be allowed to heart or destroy any of God's people at that time who are in protection and who are in an Edenic condition. Now that is only a prelude, of course, to the worldwide millennium that is coming. But it applies before and it, and it applies after. Anyway, verse... Uh, where do I want here? 11, 13. Oh, here, we, let's go to verse 12. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart and the adversity of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. There's been some brotherly unlove uh, between the two tribes, but that is going to go away. And those who are in Ephraim are going to be close to those in Judah under God's blessing. So the spiritual Israelite, the spiritual Ephraimite, will be bound together and be uh, in peace. But the trouble is not over. All right, let's go to 17, verse 3. Or let's, no, let's begin in verse 1. Isaiah 17. The burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. Now remember, Damascus and Syria were in that prophecy in Isaiah 7 as having a conspiracy against Israel, or against Ephraim and Israel. Well, that one was against Ephraim in particular. That's why we went there and how it would be destroyed. But it was the Arabs were part of that conspiracy. Well, Ephraim was part of it against Judah, to get it right. But it said Ephraim would be destroyed instead of the conspiracy against Judah working. The cities of Erewar are forsaken. They shall be for flocks which shall lie down, and none shall make them afraid. The fortress also shall cease from Ephraim and the kingdom from Damascus and the remnant of Syria. They shall be as the glory of the children of Israel, says the eternal of hosts. So they're lumped together in the conspiracy. And in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall be made thin and the fatness of his flesh shall wax lean. And it shall be as when the harvestman gathers the corn and reaps the ears with his arm. That's all there is, an armful. And it shall be as he that gathers ears in the valley of Rephaim. I don't know where that was, probably an area that didn't produce much. Yet gleaning grapes shall be left in it as the shaking of an olive tree, two or three berries in the top of the uppermost bough, four or five in the outmost fruitful branches thereof, says the God of Israel. When he gets done shaking the tree and dealing with the harvest, there won't be much left. There isn't much left of the church, and pretty soon there won't be much left of the nation. Now I want to skip forward to chapter 28, because here we have a very specific, longer prophecy about Ephraim. 
And we need to understand it. Let's go, first of all, to 27.13. It shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Eternal in the holy mount at Jerusalem. So we're talking about a prophecy here where God's people are going to be decimated, and then they are going to begin to come together and worship God at about the time the great trumpet will be blown. So God is going to send out a warning. He is going to send out a call to gather, and people will begin to come. But we've got something to deal with first here in chapter 28. Woe to the crown of pride. We just talked a little bit further back about how proud Ephraim, America, is. Woe to the crown of pride. We wear pride like a crown on our head. I'm proud of my country. I'm proud of my state. I'm proud of my football team. I'm proud of my car. I'm proud of my children. I'm proud of me, mostly. We're so proud and so haughty, we will not listen. We will not worship God. We will not repent. We will not listen to his words but shrug our shoulders and shrug them off. And we have a chip on our shoulder because of our ego and our selfishness, and we don't want to be corrected. America has a saying, no one's going to tell me what to do. We've grown up with that attitude. We have that chip on our shoulder. We have to become humble and meek, easily entreated, easily corrected, easily guided, easily led in the right direction. That does not come easy for someone who has been taught pride all his life at home and in school and in the world. So it's difficult for us. Now, God gave the ministry a tough job. He said, don't preach smooth and easy things. He said, preach the hard things, the difficult things. He told us to say the things that people wouldn't like, didn't want to do, didn't want to change. But there's a tremendous warning in it that scares me. And that is, if you don't tell the people, you're going to suffer with them. If you do tell them and they don't follow it, that's their problem, not yours. So I have to do this, whether you like it or not. I'm bound to do it. It isn't making me popular with the church or the world. Our, our website, I'm sure, does not have nearly as many hits as a lot of them that preach a softer message. People simply don't want to hear it. And it's hard for you and me to hear it sometimes. I preach it and go home sometimes and say, how am I going to do all that? Because it is a hard message of repentance. And every last one of us has to turn to God with our whole heart, and that is not easy to do. 
you have to surrender everything. We are bought with a price, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And as was brought out this morning, we owe him everything. Our life included. Our thoughts, everything, belong to him. Now you probably have some things in your possession, just physical things, that you like better than other things you have. In fact, if you go out and look at your garage, you might even think there's some things you have you wouldn't want to have. You may decide to have a yard sale and get rid of it and hope it's somebody else's treasure because it's your junk. Now my mind, your mind, belong to Christ. Now when he goes through your mind, and he can and does, and ponders your heart, does he say, now there is a valuable, valuable possession, or does he say, hmm, yard sale. That's not a possession I'm really happy with. I'd just as soon get rid of it. You know what? The devil will snap it right up. It's his treasure. If your mind is not what it ought to be, he'd love to have it. That's what it really boils down to. That's why Paul said, bring every thought into the captivity of Christ. Because he wants to be able to open your mind up to his Father and say, I like this one. This one's clean inside. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim. Well, we're not all drunks, are we? So we get off on that one. Now, this country is drunk on a lot of things. It's not just alcohol. It's drunk on drugs. It's drunk on sex. It's drunk on money. It's drunk on cars and houses and anything a credit card will buy. It seems like Walmart can import any kind of junk imaginable. And Americans will snap it up because they have a credit card. We're drunk on materiality. We're drunk on credit. We're drunk on getting what we want when we want it. We're not drunk on, we're not sober enough to save money and buy what we can afford. We're just drunk enough to go buy anything because we got a credit card. That's one of the worst kinds of drunkenness right there. It's a nation, as was said on, I think, Glenn Beck, somebody told me last night, somebody made the comment that credit is our lifeblood. And it is. It's, what, it's the only thing keeping America going now is credit. We don't have money to buy anything. We're bankrupt. We are so many trillions of dollars in debt, you can't count it. And we're depending on three billion a day coming in from foreigners to keep it going. Woe to the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower. We had a beautiful economy a few years back. We were owed more money than any other nation on earth. We were lenders, not borrowers. 
Even I grew up at a time, don't laugh, even I, grew up in a time where most people did not go out and spend money on credits. Credit cards were almost unknown, maybe a gas card or something. The people didn't buy things unless they had the money to buy them with. We were people who saved money because our parents came out of the Great Depression because they had seen lean times and gone hungry at times. And they didn't want to buy anything unless they could afford it. But that mentality is absolutely flip-flopped. Now if you want it, you get it. And you'll deal with a credit card payment later. Because that's the way we are. And that's what is destroying us. Is our glorious beauty fading? We are not now owed more than any other nation on earth. We owe more than any nation on earth. By far the greatest debtor nation the world has ever known. Not only is our flower fading, it's withering and about to fall off the stem. But you're on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Wine represents wealth. We have been overcome with wealth. We have not handled wealth properly as God would have had us handle it, so our wealth is being taken away. We misused it, we abused it, we overextended it, and tried to make it bigger by credit. The pawn, we are the pawns, the slaves of those who created the easy credit. They made it so we could buy anything, anytime. Houses, cars, didn't matter. Just go out and buy it. And now they're jerking the rug out from under us. Sheep to the slaughter. Because we didn't handle what God gave us properly. Behold, the Eternal has a mighty and strong one, which is a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing shall cast down to the earth with the hand. God is going to send the Assyrian mighty and strong, with a confederacy of other nations, a coalition against America, and absolutely destroy this fading flower that we are living in. I'm going to take the time here to go back to Deuteronomy 28. <clears throat> and I want you to look at this from the perspective of where we are today as opposed to where we were 10, 15 years ago. Let's go to 15.6 first. We'll pick up one verse before we get into Deuteronomy 28. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 15, verse 6. For the eternal your God blesses you as he promised you, and you shall lend unto many nations, but you shall not borrow, and you shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. Well, that was what God said. Now let's go to Deuteronomy 28. This we call the blessings and cursings chapter, but I think it's good. We went over it in Bible study some months back, but I think we need to look at it in the light of this past week's happenings and of the coming weeks. <clears throat> it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently to the voice of the Eternal your God... 
If you be a Christian nation, we've called ourselves that, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command you this day, that the eternal your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth. Now, he had promised Abraham that he would bless us beyond belief. And as the double portion firstborn son, as he would allocate it, we would be much higher than anyone else. So he says, and, and Abraham did obey, and for his uh, obedience, those blessings came to us. He's talking to Israel a little later here and saying that those rules still apply. And all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you. I never thought of blessings as overtaking me in one sense. I always thought you had to pray for blessings and hope they came. But if you look at this country, really, from that standpoint, in the early development stages of it, it just seemed like blessings ran us down and washed over us. Louisiana purchased for pennies, Alaska for pennies, almost, almost for nothing. The bountiful country that we spread across and settled, and all that was here, there was blessing on every hand. It's wonderful. That's the way it was. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your cattle, and the flocks of your sheep. This country developed into a tremendous agricultural country with both crops and livestock. We also produced lots of children and formed a very strong country. That happened. Mortality rate of children wasn't bad either, and you didn't hear about children being born with cancer and diabetes and heart problems and three legs and two heads and all kinds of stuff like thalidomide turned out and other things. Those were unheard of. Blessed shall be your basket and your store. Blessed shall you, and we used to have granaries full of grain all over this country. I've gone to Wisconsin and seen row after row after row of buildings that belong to the government, full of nothing but cheese. Millions of pounds of cheese stored up for food programs. Our stores now are almost empty. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. That could mean either your house, or it could even mean overseas. There was a time when I liked to go overseas, back in the 60s and 70s. Made some trips across the seas, and the only place I ever ran in any trouble or attitude was in France. They've always been kind of that way. But you could safely go almost anywhere in the world. And Americans were somewhat respected. So when we came in and out of our own house or our own country, we had goodwill. The Eternal shall cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. Remember World War I, World War II? Let's not get to Vietnam yet. You shall come out against, they shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. 
The Eternal shall command your blessing upon you in the storehouses and all that you set your hand to. And he shall bless you in the land which the Eternal your God gives you. And I think we could have said we were truly a blessed land, blessed above all nations on earth. Wealthy, healthy, strong. Verse 9. The Eternal shall establish you and holy people to himself as he has sworn to you. If you shall keep the commandments of the Eternal your God and walk in his ways. If we would be willing or had been willing to walk in his ways and be obedient, he would have established us as a holy nation. Now we put the name Christian nation on us. I'm not too sure it fit very well. Verse 10, And all the people of the earth shall see you are called by the name of the Eternal, and they shall be afraid of you. People used to be afraid of us. And the Eternal shall make you plenteous in goods, in the fruit of your body, and in the fruit of the cattle, and in the fruit of the ground, and the land which the Eternal swore to you, your fathers, to give you. Now which land did he swear to give us again? I'll beat this horse some more. We are in this land, and this land is the one that was bounteous above all. That one in the Middle East has never been that way. And here in the end time, when Israel has been blessed in the latter days, like God told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob it would be, and have seed as the sand of the sea and the stars of the heavens, and it only got this way in the last 100, 200, 300 years. The end time. And he said, I will bless you in the land which I swore to your fathers. Where is that? I am standing right now on the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Otherwise, the Bible is a liar and I might as well throw it out the window. Because that's what it says. And that is what has transpired. There is no way on earth that you could reconcile these scriptures right here with the Middle East. There's no way. If we're Israel, and if God kept his word, then this is the land that was promised. This is the promised land. And was. Because it's where they stood. And God swore that he would give us this land. I don't see how you could make a simpler, clearer case. Find me a scripture that makes one that clear for the Middle East. I'd like to see it. Verse 11, And the Eternal shall make you plenteous in goods, and the fruit of your body, and the fruit of your cattle, and the fruit of your ground, and the land which he gave you. The Eternal shall open to you his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain to your land in his season, and to bless all the work of your hand. And essentially... In this country, we have had rain in due season, and we have had bounteous crops for several hundred years now. And you shall lend to many nations, 
and you shall not borrow. And we were that way. We lent to many nations. We had giveaway programs to many nations. And we were not borrowers, we were lenders. Israel in the Middle East has never been that. They have always been on the dole from the United States and Britain. They have never been the lenders. The scripture does not apply, and that is not the land that was sworn to Abraham. It happened here. We have been the biggest lender on earth until just recently. And the eternal shall make you the head and not the tail. Yes, we were the most prosperous, the most blessed, the most wonderful nation on earth. We were that. And in my lifetime, I've seen that when it was still that way. And so have most of you. It hasn't been, I mean, even some of you who are fairly young have seen times a lot better than we're looking at today. It's changed pretty quickly. He'll make you the head and not the tail. And you shall be above only, and you shall not be beneath. There was nobody above us. If that you hearken to the commandments of the eternal your God, which I command you this day to observe and to do them, and you shall not go aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. So there's the promise of blessings. And this is a nation that if you examine this pretty carefully has had every one of the things mentioned here. We've had them. And we got proud of them. Now let's look at the other side of the coin. Verse 15, But it, it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken to the voice of the Eternal your God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So like the blessings rolled over us, now the curses will blow, roll over us if we don't obey God's commandments. How many churches across this land teach the commandments of God have to be kept? Now, I don't think we have to go in there into Paul's writing and try to sort out all the works or grace or law or no law or whatever. It can be done, but all we have to do is examine this chapter and by it find out if the commandments of God are still in effect. Because he said if we do things his way, we'd receive this. And Abraham did that, and he promised that it would happen to Abraham. Then he told us, if this is going to continue, you yourselves will have to obey. But if you don't... Here's what's going to happen. So we've seen the blessings of Abraham in this country. We've seen God keep his promise. Now let's see what happens to a country who does not keep the commandments of God and see if there is any effect. If God means business and the commandments are in effect or if they're not. Let's see if we can see ourselves here. In retrospect, looking back, I can see us in the first part of the chapter. I can see us clearly. Now let's see if we can see us 
as we continue. Cursed shall you be in the city. Our cities are going bankrupt. They're falling apart. The infrastructure is crumbling. The streets are getting where they're no longer safe. There are a lot of places in a lot of our cities I would not want to visit. I don't even want to visit our cities, period. Cursed shall be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall your basket be your basket and your store. We're finding that our crops are beginning to get diseased. We're having floods. We're having droughts. Our storage system is almost empty. We have better crops at some times than others. And God has let it stay together so far. But we don't have the bumper crops now that we used to have. And we're beginning to see deterioration. And the food does not have the strength in it. It is full of chemicals. It is full of insecticides and pesticides. And the soil has been worked to the place that even though they might produce a beautiful-looking crop, it has no energy and strength and health in it. So what good is it to have corn that's been genetically modified to the point it has no value for a human being or for our animals. And so our animals are getting sick and getting more and more cancer and they're harder to raise and harder to keep and they die of so many, many things now. Curse shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your land, the increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep. We're having people now born. I never heard of it when I was a kid. Born with cancer. Born with diabetes. Born with all kinds of horrible things that are going to kill them by the time they're a year or two or five or ten of age. It's getting worse and worse. A statistic was put out recently that said this is the first generation that will die at an earlier age than their parents in this country. Because we're eating junk, we're overfed, we're fat, we're unhealthy, and we are so beset by disease that now they can see the scientists, not the Bible, not the preachers, the scientists, that we have a generation that's going to die earlier than their parents as a whole. Curse shall you be when you come in, and curse shall you be when you go out. Isn't safe for Americans hardly to travel anymore. Isn't safe to go out of your house in town. More and more Americans are getting like South Africa, where they have bars on their doors and windows, double locks, dogs, guns, burglar alarms, because we live in a land that is not safe anymore. The Eternal shall send upon you cursing, vexation, and rebuke, and all that you set your hand to do until you be destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings whereby you have forsaken me. It's a process. It takes a little time. It says it will happen pretty quickly. But life will get tougher and tougher and worse and worse until you die. The Eternal shall make the pestilence cleave to you until he have consumed you from off the land where you shall go to possess it. We are now in epidemic proportions 
of diabetes, heart trouble, cancer, and many other diseases. And we're dying off. There's not a person here that doesn't know multiple people who have heart trouble, diabetes, and cancer, the big three. There's several people right here in this room afflicted with the above. Eternal shall smite you with a consumption and with a fever and with an inflammation and with an extreme burning and with the sword and with blasting and with mildew and they shall pursue you until you perish. And your heaven that is over you shall be brass and the earth that is under you shall be iron. We won't get the rain. We won't have the crops. The fields will not be productive. The eternal shall make the rain of your land powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down upon you till you be destroyed. Ask the people of Georgia the last two or three years if their rain was dust or not. Ask people in other parts of the country. The eternal shall cause you to be smitten before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. From Vietnam on, that's pretty much the way it's been. At least with our ground troops. Now, we've still had the power in the skies, but that is fast deteriorating as well. Your carcass shall be meat to all fowls of the air and to the beasts of the earth, and no man shall fray them away. Now, this hasn't fully happened yet, but it's on its way. Verse 27, the eternal will smite you with the botch of Egypt and with the emeralds and with the scab and the itch, whereof you cannot be healed. All kinds of incurable things will come upon us. He'll smite you with madness. A lot of people are mentally unbalanced and going nuts today. They're on all kinds of drugs to keep them from acting nuts. They're taking all kinds of drugs to make them act better, and the side effects are making them feel worse. We are a drugged society. We are drunk on drugs. You shall grope at noonday as the blind gropes in the darkness. We don't have a clue where we're going anymore, do we? We're trying to figure out how to save the nation. Don't know how. Even coming up with $700 billion as an idea to save the financial system. Did you hear where they got that figure? How they determined how much money they needed? Someone in the Treasury Department leaked it to a news person. We just picked out a big number, hoping it would be big enough to scare people. That's how they determined how much money they needed for this bailout, admittedly. We don't know where we're going or what we're doing. You shall not prosper in your ways. Are we now prospering? No, we're beginning to go the other way very, very rapidly. And you shall be only oppressed and spoiled evermore, and no man shall save you. They act like they're trying to save us when actually what they're doing is trying to enslave us. And they've just about got her done. You shall betroth a wife, and another man shall lie with her. Have our morals gone so bad? The marriages don't last. People are sleeping around like dogs. No, they're worse than dogs. They do it all the time. Dogs just do it when the bitches are in heat. 
You shall build a house and you shall not dwell therein. Are we getting kicked out of our houses? Yes, we are. Is it going to get worse? Yes, it is. Housing prices fell 16.1% in parts of the country in this month only. You shall plant a vineyard and shall not gather the grapes thereof. Your ox shall be slain before your eyes and you shall not eat it. It will be violently taken away from before your face. He shows where this thing's really going to go. Verse 32, your sons and your daughters shall be given to other people and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long. Our children are going to be sold as slaves overseas. You see, the Chinese are beginning to have their wages go up. The Japanese wages are going up. They're going to want cheap labor. It'll be a reversal. They've given us the cheap labor. Now they're going to say, I have a car now. I want a servant. Send me an American boy or girl. It's going to turn around. There shall be no might in your hand. You won't be able to save them. They're going to be sold into slavery. The fruit of your land and all your labors shall a nation which you know not eat up, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed always, so that you shall be mad for the sight of your eyes which you shall see. It will drive us crazy to see what's happening to us as a people. The Eternal shall smite you in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. Americans are going to be like Job, only not as righteous. The Eternal shall bring you and your king, which you shall set over you, to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there shall, assert, and there shall you serve other gods, wood and stone, and you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword, a curse among all nations where the eternal shall lead you. You shall carry much seed out to the field and shall gather but little in, for the locusts will consume it. Vineyards, olive trees, everything will go. You shall beget sons and daughters, verse 41, but you shall not enjoy them. They'll go into captivity. All your trees and fruit of your land shall be the locusts consumed. The stranger that is within you shall get up above you very high, and you shall come down very low. Are the Mexicans rising above us? Yes, they are. Are we potentially about to elect a Muslim to rule over us? Yes, we are. The stranger will rise above us. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. We have gone from the greatest creditor nation to the greatest debtor nation. And now the other nations of the world hold the upper hand and they can foreclose on us at any time and absolutely and totally destroy us. And they are going to. Total reversal. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and shall pursue you and overtake you till you be destroyed because you hearken not to the voice of the eternal your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. The prognosticators, the analysts, don't see that. You can read on the various internet sites about these sites that tell you, well, go out and buy silver and gold because the fiat money is going to go away and when all of this blows over, all of us who bought silver and gold are going to be sitting pretty and we'll suddenly have the wealth. 
Do they see that the fiat money is a joke? But what they don't see is that we're not going to recover. It's over. It's done. This will happen, and they will rise up above us until we are destroyed. <coughs> Silver and gold will do us no good. It might protect against inflation a bit for a time until the destruction comes. But then it won't matter, and the guys with the silver and gold will be killed for it and take, are taken captive, and it will be taken away from them. And it will come to the point where not just fiat dollars, but silver and gold will also be thrown in the street because you can't eat it and you can't buy anything with it because there's nothing to buy. It's the way it's going to be. How long are we going to depend upon Walmart and Albertsons to take care of us? They're going away. Someone suggested we need a store, some people we're working with, where we can have the basics and begin to take care of ourselves, knowing that the other is going away, and also knowing that there's not much in those stores that's worth buying in the first place. And I question whether we can even handle that yet or not because people are still so tied to Walmart and Albertsons and Smith's Food King and wherever else that even if people make an effort and put in their labor to provide a product which is better and cheaper, they'll still go to Walmart and the dairy store to buy it. And it makes me wonder. Now, when Walmart and those other places go away, if we haven't supported our local industry, we plant gardens and people won't even bother to go pick it. Now, they'll eat it if you'll pick it and cook it for them, or maybe take it to them. But that's been my experience for many, many years, that people in the church would raise gardens and say, everybody come pick what you want, take it, use it, and they wouldn't do it, but if you would pick it for them and wash it and wrap it all up nice and set it on their table, then they might eat it. We are so used to going to the store and getting what we want. People say, well, the eggs are too expensive. Well, you go and buy an egg that good at Walmart, and it'll cost you three bucks a dozen. Maybe it's gone down a little to two and a half, I don't know. It's been between two and a half and three and a half for a farm fresh egg that had a little color and would stand up and look at you when you broke it open instead of going all over the plate. But people say, well, I can get those cheaper. Yeah, you can. Do you care anything about quality? I told the person, I don't know. Maybe we can do it. Maybe we can't. We're supposed to be working toward our own vine and fig tree, not working on hanging on to the Babylonian pit just as long as we can. There was one lady tried selling milk here the last three, four years. She didn't really know how to handle the cows, but people wouldn't buy the milk for the most part anyway, so the cows dried up, and then it wasn't there anymore, anywhere, more anyway. Now the cows are gone. 
We're going to support and help each other. We're just going to keep running on and sucking on that tit. Tit's going to be gone, brethren. It's going to be gone. Do we have a contingency plan? Are we working toward that little by little? I'm not saying we should quit going to Walmart tonight. But we need to be working a different direction. I mean, there are certain things there that we can't produce ourselves, but I want to give credit to those who are trying. And there's a man who's saying, I'm going to try to set up a store in Cedar City and one up here up the canyon and maybe one on you guys' place, and we're going to try to provide the things that people ought to be eating and do it at a decent price. And I said, I don't know whether they're ready for that. Your people up there may be, but I'm not too sure mine are. And I regretted having to put it that way. But I don't want him to try to do something that's going to fall on his nose because of lack of support. Think about it. God is going to cause these to happen until we are destroyed. <clears throat> You're not going to have grocery stores to go to. Now, you can be a city person and stay that way, I guess. But that's not what God wants you to do. Now, it's not a sin to have been a city person. It's a sin to stay that way. God wants us to begin to produce our own food and to have our own vine and fig tree. That's the force of Scripture. And that's the way it's going to be in the millennium. We're not going to have big industry. We're not going to have supermarkets. Every man will have his own vine and fig tree. And he will produce everything his family needs. And if he doesn't produce certain things, he can trade with his neighbor who produces that. That's the way it's going to be. And Zechariah 3 says it's going to be that way at the end of this age, too, not just in the millennium. That's one of the key places where it mentions each man will sit under his own vine and fig tree. And that has to happen within the next one to three or four years, I believe. If things keep going the way they are in this country, you won't have a store to go to. Are you learning now what to do and how to handle it? Don't miss the boat. Don't miss the boat. God tells us to be transformed, and it means in many, many different ways. Not just to think angel thoughts, but to change our way of life. says, you'll be destroyed, verse 45, because you hearken not to the voice of the eternal your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. Well, does that include the prophets? Christ included the law and the prophets. And the prophets said that this is all going to be taken away and that we would each have to have our own vine and fig tree and we would have to become self-sufficient and sufficient dependent upon God. Are we moving that way? I'm not saying we have to make a transformation in one day, but are we moving that direction? Are we moving in the way that God would have his people go? That's the question. Verse 46, And they shall be upon you for a sign and for a wonder, and upon your seed forever. 
we will be, God says his people will be signs and wonders for good. And he says our nation is going to be a sign and wonder for the evil, for the destruction that comes upon us. Because you serve not the eternal your God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. We are selfish and grasping and greedy and want more instead of being thankful for what we do have. That's what he says right there in that verse. We're not thankful for what we do have. We want what we don't have. And we don't care. We'll fill that card up and pay interest on it to get what we want now. Because we're selfish to the core and we are destroying our nation because of it. That's where it lays. That's where it is. That's what's happening. Therefore shall you serve your enemies which the eternal shall send against you in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron on your neck till he have destroyed you. Babylon has had a, wo a wooden yoke on our neck. But we're about to have an iron yoke. A lot stronger and a lot heavier to bear. It's coming. The Eternal shall bring a nation against you from far from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose tongue you shall not understand. They ain't going to speak English when they come here, and they're going to take everything we got. Now God says we have to be willing to give him everything. So as a nation, we've not given God anything but lip service, if that, and he's going to take away everything. So that which has become our God, our idol, materiality, and things, is going to all be taken away so that we're hungry, thirsty, and naked. We won't have any $150 tennis shoes. We won't have any $30, $40 jeans or more. We won't have any food or any water to drink. Our gods will be destroyed before our very eyes. A nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor shall favor to the young. They'll kill any and torture any they come across. And he shall eat the fruit of your cattle and the fruit of your land till you be destroyed, which also shall not leave you either corn, wine, oil, increase of your cattle or sheep till he have destroyed you, and he shall besiege you and all your gates until your high and defensed walls come down wherein you trusted throughout all your land. The army, the marines, the proud, the few, the marines that we've trusted in and our air force and our navy are going away. That's it. Destroyed. And he shall besiege you in all your gates throughout all your land which eternal your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and of your daughters, which eternal your God has given you in the siege and in the straightness wherewith your enemies shall distress you. Now up to this point, I can see America today. From this point on, I see America tomorrow. Very soon. You and I, sitting here, cannot imagine eating our own children. It is beyond our comprehension. We, we can't even begin to fathom it. But very soon, the people of this nation 
will be eating their own children. Hasn't what he said up to this point begun to happen? Aren't we now the tail and not the head? Aren't we the greatest debtor, not creditor nation? Aren't we in debt to our eyeballs? Isn't our health deteriorating? Aren't our crops going away and not nourishing us so that we're getting diseased? Yeah, all those things are happening. We can see those things happening all around us right now. Well, if God was right about that, I think he's right about this too. You want to be part of that? The soccer moms and the Walmart and Outback crowd are going to be part of that. Only a very few of God's people are going to dwell under their own vine and fig tree, take care of themselves, and trust God to take care of them. Only a very few. Verse, you'll eat your sons and daughters, which God has given you, in the seeds and in the straightness, so that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eye shall be evil toward his brother and toward the wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave. Some of us now can hardly swat a fly. Some of us now cringe at the killing of a rattlesnake. Some of us can't stand to see an animal butchered that God said you could eat. We can go to the store and buy it if somebody did it somewhere else. But we are so trained by this world and by its society and its culture that we've been hidden from all these things. A lot of you didn't grow up around those things, so they're alien to you. They, they scare you. They, they appall you. They turn your stomach because you didn't grow up around stuff like that. But the tender man, the one who was so delicate, is going to be eating his own child. That's how bad it's going to get. People who are greenies, people who can't stand to see anything hurt or killed, will kill and eat their own children. That's how big a reversal that will be. Now, how big a reversal do you and I need to make to prevent this from happening to us? And toward, he'll be evil, his eye will be evil toward his brother. He'll be looking his brother up and down saying, hmm, I wonder if he should be eaten next. And toward the wife of his bosom, the woman whom he has laid beside night after night for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. He'll be looking her up and down saying, Maybe I'll eat her next. That's beyond my comprehension. Toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave. There are people right now abandoning their teenagers in Nebraska because they have a law that says if you don't want them, you can get rid of them, basically. So they're abandoning them at hospitals legally. Several cases of that in the last few days. So that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat. He won't feed his own children, the ones that are left, the one they just killed to eat, because he wants it all for himself. How selfish can we be? How spoiled are we? There are societies today which are absolute 
heathen, ungodly tribes in Indonesia, Africa, various places around the world where people are literally laying down by the millions and dying of starvation and they don't eat their own children. Why would we if they don't? Because they expect it and they become used to it and it's part of life and death. So instead of eating their children, they lay down and die. Here, we are so rotten spoiled, so self-centered and selfish, that rather than die ourselves, we will eat our own children and not even feed the remaining children part of their brother or sister. That is incredible. But it's coming soon in this nation. Those people whose IRAs and pensions and Social Security and all that that are going away will have nothing. And there will be nothing in the store to buy and nothing to eat but their brothers, their wives, and their children. Now, is that blowing a trumpet or what? How strong a warning do we need to begin to turn to God with our whole heart so that we're not among those? We do not realize the depths of depravity and selfishness that human beings can go. I know you don't like to hear this. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it may be nauseating. But brethren, it's fact. It's coming here in this nation. And you'd better be warned and know and do what you can to be sure you're not part of it. Because there is a way of escape out of it. Verse 50. The tender and delicate woman among you, those who are just, oh, don't show me a mouse or a bug. Don't do this. Don't do that. Oh, I can't stand to see that. The tender and delicate woman which would not adventure to set the sole of her foot upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness. Her eyes shall be evil toward the husband of her bosom and toward her son and toward her daughter and toward her young one that comes out from between her feet and toward her children which she shall bear for she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness wherewith your enemies shall distress you in your gates." If you will not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and fearful name, the eternal your God. Don't fear our enemies that are coming. Don't fear the conspiracy that is upon us. Don't fear the slave drivers in Washington and New York and in Frankfurt, Germany. They're going to enslave us and bring this upon us. Don't fear them. Fear God. Then the Eternal will make your plagues awesome. You want to see awesome? 
We throw that word around. Oh, that movie was awesome. No, it wasn't awesome. It might have been entertaining. You want to see awesome, you're about to see awesome. And the plagues of your seed, even great plagues, and of long continuance, and sore sicknesses, and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt which you were afraid of, and they shall cleave to you. And every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this law, even stuff that's not even in here, new stuff, will the eternal bring upon you till you be destroyed. And you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the eternal your God. And it shall come to pass that as the eternal rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the eternal will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land where you go to possess it. He's co they're coming here, the land that was promised to us to possess and taking us away from it. And the eternal shall scatter you among all people from one end of the earth even to the other. We're not in the Middle East, are we? We're here in the promised land. This is the land they're going to take us out of. This is where we are. This is what was promised to us, where God put us, and where we multiplied as the stars of heaven. And this is the promised land we'll be taken away from for disobedience. This is serious stuff. You shall serve other gods there which neither you nor your fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shall you find no ease, neither shall the sole of your foot have rest, but the Eternal shall give you there a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind. And your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you shall fear day and night and shall have none assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, Would, would God it were evening, and at evening you shall say, Would God it were morning. For the fear of your heart wherewith you shall fear, and for the sight of your eyes which you shall see. And the Eternal shall bring you into Egypt again with ships. By the way, whereof I spoke to you, you shall see it no more again. And there you shall be sold to your enemies for bondmen and bondwomen, and no man will even buy you. I got some American slaves. What will you bid? I don't want them. They're too lazy. They don't have any work ethic. They're too spoiled. They're too afraid they're going to starve to death. They're not worth anything to me. We will be totally, utterly valueless, valueless to this world. Not worth even having as a slave. That's where this nation is going. We're on the downhill slide into it. And it is not far off. You have been warned. Reading these is the blowing of a trumpet. It is a warning. Now, a warning is given for what purpose? To wake us up. To make us think seriously and not hypocritically. And begin to do the things. Because the hearer of the word will not be rewarded, but the doer. God expects us to do something. He doesn't expect us just to sit around and hear pleasant words, nice speeches, and sermons. He expects us to do something. 
He expects us to be honorable. He expects us not to borrow, but to be lenders. He expects us to get our finances straightened out. He expects us to depart from this world and its ways and its culture and not do the things that it's doing that have put us in this abominable position we're in today. We have to divorce ourselves from this system. Quit living in it and with it. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and of her plagues. This credit system we're living on today is an abomination to God. Herbert Armstrong told us decades ago, we need to simplify our lives and quit living the good American credit way of life. Did we listen? Not a bit! God commands us to get out of debt and stay out of debt. And our nation is going down because we are not obeying the commands of God. Now, are we going to form a plan and start getting out of it, or are we going to go deeper in it? Are we going to depend more and more on this world and the things it provides, or less and less? Are we going to begin to depend upon God more for the things we need, or this world? This is serious business. The lives of ourselves and our children hang in the balance. Ninety percent of the people of this country are going to die and die horribly and kill each other and eat each other. That's going to happen. I'll, I'll be generous. I'll say within ten years. And it'll probably be a whole lot faster than that. Are we going to take it serious? You don't blow a, a trumpet unless there's a reason for alarm. And on this day, there is an alarm. There is a crisis. Now isn't the only indicator. It fell 777 just as the Feast of Trumpets started. 777. Why wasn't it 666? Is it just a coincidence? I don't know. Maybe. God was saying. This world is going down, and you who keep the Feast of Trumpets had better stick to 777, the ways of your God, or you're going down the way the world is going down at a very, very rapid rate. I don't know that that's the meaning, but it's a scary thought. But maybe there's a warning there. The world's going down very fast. If you'll stick to my word, you're not going where the Tao went yesterday. You can go upward and onward, and I will protect you if you will obey me and serve me and turn to me with your whole heart. I pray we will hear and heed the word of God.